Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. I think I have it coordinated now. Um, as I said, I'm trying to get used to doing this video as well as audio. Um, today's parsha is Shlacham do the uh, parsha of the week, which is being sponsored by Shmuley Dinowitz, who unfortunately very recently lost his father, my very good friend, Rabbi Peretz Dinowitz. We all miss him a lot. My peer, sort of, you know, going back some some time, a long way in, in Baltimore, and um, the Shamshan Avonali, as they say, it's not even the Shloshim yet. So thank you, and um, also he likes the podcast, so uh, as I said, <clears throat> I'll leave it at that. Very, we lost a very good person. Um, Parshas Shlach, there's a lot of things swimming through my mind, I'm only share a few, otherwise it'd take too long. <clears throat> it's fascinating, I know everybody knows the story of Mraga, like duh, you know, but um, <clears throat> here's some interesting points that happened to come coincidentally across my desk because of something else, the Hainu. Um, I'm hoping to do an Israel trip. Right now, uh, we originally planned for November, but now it looks more likely to be in January. Mir Sashem, everything should work out. It's always a lot of uh, logistics involved. And one of the things I like to do when I go on one of my trips is I like to give a historical theme, naturally, because that's who I am. And um, one of the places I'd like to go, I don't know if it's going to be in the end, but you know, I'm in the planning stage I'd like, would be up north in the Golan because of the 73 war. This is a very interesting episode in um, modern Jewish history, when the Israelis got caught their pants down by the Syrians and the Egyptians, surprised them on Yom Kippur, I think many of you know that, most of you, and Israel took terrible casualties, and uh, had to fight real hard to regain, and so forth and so on. Now, what does that have to do with Hashem Shlach? A lot. The main guy in Israel was Moshe Dayan. He had been the big general. If you're my age or thereabouts, you'll remember him. The young people may not even know who I'm talking about. That's Yosef. But uh, he would die, patch and all that. And by that time, he was Sar Bittachon, uh Minister of Defense, and basically the Commander-in-Chief of the Israeli Army. And he was supposed to be this Gavra, Gever, and he lost it. It was very famous. He lost it. He collapsed. He cried. He said, it's all over. We're doomed. Shemekin effect, and so on and so forth. There's reasons for that. And I'm not giving a whole lecture on the Yom Kippur War, but it's a very interesting human story. And one of the places, I'm debating, you know, if you know the details, it's a fascinating story of the Israeli uh, business on the Golan Heights. Basically, they got caught with their pants down. They got a surprise attack, like 1,500 uh, Syrian tanks, which is a lot. And the Israelis only had a small number of tanks. It's their own fault. It's their own Peshia. It wasn't uh, Onus. It was Peshia. Um, and they knew it. And basically, the general screwed up, and the most of them, and the captains and the majors and the lieutenant colonel saved the day. A lot of them dying in the process. This is really a very interesting story. And basically, I have to decide, do I want to go, I've been thinking about it, do I want to go to the northern part of the Golan or the southern part? Because there's two separate distinct battles there, each one of which the Israelis fought very heroically, had a lot of losses, and finally beat back the Syrians. They defeated them in the end. It wasn't easy. 
Like I say, it's a long story now. It's not the time to go through all that. And you'll see what it has to do with Parsha Shlach. It just hit me uh, this week, as I see it, which is all you ever get. And um, the North, what's called Kalani, the, the, Israelis, the Israelis got crunched, but then they assumed certain firing positions, and they had a very tough battle. That's one Parsha. But the other Parsha is the South, the southern part of Golan, where, suffice it to say, whatever Israeli forces were there on Yom Kippur, when the Syrians attacked, were crunched, were destroyed. Right? They just crushed them and destroyed them. This is a sad story. In which case, Moshe Dayan was up flying up there, and he like seriously freaked out. And he was sitting on a uh, rock, overlooking the whole Golan thing from the Israeli side, from Harkonnen, and um, and crying. And he said, this is the end. He said, we had a Bayes Rishon, we had a Bayes Shani, now it's a Bayes Shlishi. It's also going to be a Chorban. Woe is me. It's all over. Meanwhile, the Israelis, now I'm simplifying, had one division in reserve that was facing the Jordan Valley under a general, uh, Musa Pelled, Moshe Pelled, who uh, turned out to be one of Israel's great generals. I don't think he's so well known, unless you're a tank freak. If you're one of these armor corps type, you know, nerds out there, then you'll know that Moshe Pelled is actually a statue of him in the United States Tank Museum. That's one of the great tank commanders. I, nobody's ever heard of him. Only professionals. Only professionals. You understand? But you can be sure, by the time the story's over, the American army took him to America to teach him how to fight with the tanks. And they used those tactics in the um, in the Schwarzkopf War against Saddam Hussein. Anyway, uh, so Moshe Pell was a tough guy with a long experience. And you know, he wasn't afraid of a fight. And they said like this, the whole Golan collapsed, that's true. And the Assyrians are going to bust into Israel. Bring up your division now to reinforce. He came up there, he found Moshe Dayan. Moshe Dayan's like this. Avadu Kolono Avadu. You know, it's all over. You see where I'm going? It's Mamash like the Moroglin. The Who were the ones who freaked out? The Nazis. The Nassim. Okay? Tchilas Nefila Nisa. We have a rule. I mean, in Halacha and in military life, the beginning of defeat is panic. And if the generals panic, what do you want? It's not even the fault of Klai Yisrael. You know, of course the whole people said it. Moshe sent out 12 spies, as we know. They're biggies. They're like generals, Nazis, things like that. They're Gibors, Gavarabas. And they came back. And they're the ones who said, we can't do it. It's over. They, in other words, let's put it this way. My mom just went into a panic. Now, why do I say it went into a panic? You can take that either spiritually, or you can take it, uh, you know, Gashmias-wise. Spiritually, Hashem said, yes, I took you out of Egypt. I think the language in the Chumash is that God is angry because what? I haven't proven to you that I can do it. Uh, where does it say over here? Hashem says to Moshe, look at this. It's not me, it's the Chumash. I'd honor you not soon, you how long will these people provoke me? Notice, haven't I done a million miracles? You're getting the mon, you're getting the clouds, and besides that, I took you out of Egypt with ten plagues across the Red Sea, blah, 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 blah. You know? So now, because you see the enemy, you don't think you're going to make it now? That was a criminal, get it? You see, that Hashem got angry over that. That's what he got angry over. It says so in the Chumash. So that's a spiritual kind of thing. 
as we would say today in from uh, circle, radical lack of bitachon. All right, but chutz from that, uh, the parsha reinforces this. I'm sorry, the haftorah, because rachav azonah said like this. When we heard your comment, we freaked out. So no, I think I did this last year or two years ago. You know, like General Grant at the Battle of Belmont. He came scared of the other side. Turned out they were more scared of him. So these people, the Nesim, are saying, Oh, we're nothing. Meanwhile, Rachel is on us. I guess, Oh, you know, we heard the Jews are coming. Our hearts melted. We went into a panic attack. So it would be funny if it wasn't tragic. You have two armies, so to speak. One over here, one over here. And this one is panicking from this one. And this one is panicking from this one. Was, you know? Now, Bishlemo, these guys, the Canaanites, are panicking. I hear. They actually were smart. They said, the God of the Hebrews uh, split the Red Sea. Hobi Shethmei Yamsuf. That makes sense. These guys, the Jews, and when I say the Jews, the Nassim. So they're supposed to be the elite. So they're supposed to be the people who are exemplary. Right? And Amuna and everything else. They're the ones that are panicking. And therefore, when the top people, if the general freaks out, the army collapses. Right? If the general freaks out, the army collapses. Again, just picking out of the top of my head, at Battle of Chickamauga, the Union was holding the line. And then the general freaked out. And he said, we're in trouble. And he, re- and he fled the battlefield. Or Rosecrans. And all the Union soldiers, if he's leaving, <laughs> we're doomed. And they, they all ran away, except the uh, Thomas and all. So that's what happened this week's Parsha. The top down. Now, Kolovin Yeshua said, I guess we can do it. Yochol Nuchala. It's mamish what happened. I shouldn't even say this. I should save this for the for the tour, but it doesn't matter. So this General Pellet, who was a kibbutz type guy, you know, but a, a, a brave uh, Jewish soldier. Not from, brave Jewish soldier, very brave. And he brought the division up, and they say like this, it's all over. Try to prevent them from breaking into Israel too too quickly. You understand? Try to hold the line. We've lost the Golan to the Syrians. It's all over. Let's try to minimize the damage. Maybe it'll take part of the Galil. Let's try to make it. They don't take the whole business. This was the state of mind of Moshe and these cop guys. And this guy said, like, the heck with that. We're going to go on the offensive and drive these guys out. And they say, you can't do it. He said, I say, we can do it. So just give me the permission. We can do it. And they saw he's so confident that after they talked, they said, okay, you can do it. You know, Dom and Baroshka. It's up to you. He said, okay. And he told his guys, it's a long story. I'm making it short. He said, listen, we're going to have a tough fight. We're going to kick these guys out of there. We're going to chase the Syrians out of this place. And he did. You understand? It's a famous set of battles, only for military uh, geeks and all that. But it's, it's it's a Jewish battle. I mean, it's, I'm not talking about a battle, you know, Putin in the Ukraine or the Americans even in the Kuwait or something like that. I'm talking about Israel fighting the Syrians who had all these equipment and tanks and men that numbered the Israelis. And this guy, Pellet, busted them. Um, that's why... When it was over, the military experts who were really there, they said, wow, let's bring this guy to America, teach us what to do. This is very interesting. That's why he's in the museum. So, you see, in recent times, 50 years ago, a replay of Pasha Shlach, when it's all a matter of attitude. If you say we lost, then you lost. When they say, as the famous Chazal says, how uh, does it go? They... they they looked at us like little things, we, therefore we were. Meaning, they mentally lost, get it? They mentally lost. 
So it's just a remarkable episode. Now, um, I never noticed this story, but this is the angle in which you know it's true in the sense that it happens many times in history. Unfortunately, this is Bechila Doris. By us, it happened on Tishabah because I think everybody knows that uh, the people cried on that night, that's a Tishabah. And as they say, you have a Bechila Lashana, and I'll give you a Bechila Doris. Okay, I mean, we know that. But it means they have a certain attitude that um, when you're getting close to the three weeks and nine days, you got to watch out for the attitude, which is to surrender too quickly, to panic too quickly, to give in. Sometimes to be tough on the easy me, you got to take your life in your hands. And believe you me, many Israeli soldiers on that occasion got killed. We do not know what would happen if the Kali Israel would march into, uh, would disregard the Moroccan march into Eretz Israel. Would they take losses? Would they not take losses? I don't know. I mean, I've seen Chazal say they would have walked in and be a cakewalk. And I've seen other Chazal say not. So you don't know, but it doesn't matter. They would have won a smashing victory. They would have won, taken over. Of course it didn't happen that way. And uh, the point is that it became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Prophe- prophecies of doom and prophecies of uh, or statements of yeush are actually self-fulfilling. And if you give up, you gave up. You understand? They're subjective. I understand this pressure is there, and I'm not trying to be supercilious, and uh, I'm not even saying if I were there, I would do this, that, and the other, because you can't be like that. If you want to be realistic, panic is a panic, but it's necessary to resist it. You understand? Or else it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. It reminds me, this is the point I want to make, of something I saw a couple months ago when I mentioned about the Belzer Rebbe, because I did uh, some speeches in Baltimore um, this past winter, you know, my lecture series. Anyway, what I have in front of me is this book uh, in Israel called Hagadolim, right? In the front it says Gedolim, but in English it says Gedolim, right? And And this is an academic book published by religious academics in Israel, no, there's serious academic people in Israel and America, Mark Shapiro is one of them, on bios, biographies of the Gedolim over the last hundred years, let's say, for example. It's very interesting, and they're all not very long, but they're they're very tamsis, uh, you know, they're very uh, packed together. If you're somebody interested in the subject whatsoever, uh, somebody uh, wrote me from Lakewood this morning, if you haven't heard this book, this would be one that I'm holding up in front of me, uh, and it's published by Magnus Press. So, here they have this article in the Belzerov, and I highlight it before, because I want to tell you, it's a little bit, my, it's like the Moraglin, in the following sense. You know, when the Zionism started, so, immediately split among the from, pro and anti. I would even say from the Chavetzim, before it was Zionist. Should you be for the Israel thing? Should you not be for the Israel thing? Support the modern effort to move people to Israel, set up settlements, and all that business. Now, I'm talking about among the from now. I'm not talking about the non from. So, it was a fight. Some people said the whole thing is traced from top to bottom. She have nothing to do with it. And some even said, like the Munkach Rav, you shouldn't even move to Israel unless you're a Balmadrega Gavoa, Ma'od. Otherwise, you'd be poking it. Um, and that's the way it was from the 1880s, especially in the early 20th century, when the Zionist movement went in a very secular direction, after 1908 particularly, a very strong reaction against it 
among what we would call today the Torah cartotypes in Europe and in Israel. In Europe and in Israel. Um, that's one thing. As a result, the Lush and Paranix had a field day. And when I say that, I mean politics is disgusting usually. And the kind of from politics is particularly disgusting. We know this. We have our plus and we have our minuses. Politics is not a from plus. And the uh, lush and hard that goes on is is extraordinary. Okay? Now, um, I remember I was in Israel, I don't know how many years ago, it was during a, one of the elections, on Shabbos at my sister's in Ramot Polin, and there was some kind of a minion there. It wasn't in the Oel Yosef, but somewhere else. It was like a bell. I can't remember exactly. And the guy who was giving the speech on Shabbos morning after show, whatever, was a die-in. Young guy. All I remember is he says the the, the elections were, were were over, and everybody was hawking, and he said Loshan said Nivrit, Loshan Ar is Asuri Afil Achreya Bechirot. Afil Achreya Bechirot. You know, it's, it's how it goes. And when it gets to the people put up the Pashkaville and all this kind of junk, oh my lord, it's uh, lies and half truths and this and that and the other. It's how it goes. The case how it goes. Now, ordinarily, all right, you know, like that. However, it's very interesting when I saw this article about the Bells of Arabia because in the following sense. The British took over Palestine in 1917, 1918, issued the Balfour Declaration. That time they said Palestine will be a, nat a national home for the Jewish people, although we're not kicking the Arabs out either. And that's what it says. And so in the 1920s and 30s, there was a possibility... Take it from me, you, you, may, you may probably not know this. Anybody could move to Israel if they had money. Those are the rules under the British. If you had $3,500, I think, or 3,500 pounds, no, it's not a million dollars, but I'll use in modern terms. Let's say you have $100,000, $200,000, something like that, something in that area. Anybody would say, let's, for argument's sake, let's say $200,000. Anybody's got two hundred grand. Um, by modern standards, at that time was less, you could move to Israel, Palestine under what they call a, a capitalist visa. If you didn't have the money and you were coming in at the expense of the Zionist movement, like for the kibbutz and the Hasharan and all that business, they had all these quotas. But if you had on your own, you could get in. In spite of what I just said, um, by the way, a lot of Rebbes bought up a lot of real estate to get Rebbe and others. Uh, in the 1920s and 30s on the British because they made their move, you know, because you could do it. So, uh, but it's notorious that most of the Hasidim didn't do that, didn't move to Israel in 1920s and 30s. And I'm not talking about the poor ones because they couldn't get in. I'm talking about, let's say, the rich ones and the middle class who could save up money. Let's say I was living in Poland or someplace like that. There are plenty of Hasidim who are poor, but there are also plenty of Hasidim of different types who weren't poor. They had a successful business in one type or another. I won't go into details. Uh, and if it had been on their priority, they said, like this, you know, we're going to uh, make Aliyah. We have enough money to buy a place in Israel. By the standards of the 1920s and 30s, you could even buy a shtickle house or something like that. It could work. But it didn't happen. For the most part. And one of the reasons, and I saw this, I'll show you, show you this in a minute. One of the reasons is because of the Moraglum, meaning one of the reasons is because the Frum in Israel, 
I'm talking about the Natura Carta types. Even though there wasn't a Torah Carta at that time, but those types. Right? The very from in Israel, and others in Chutz Lord who were connected with them, put out all these lies. By Yotzihu Divas Arts Asher Torah also. The Imam said Divas Arts. About how bad the Chilonim were, how bad the Zionists were, and they told and, and, and persuaded, because people didn't know better, in Poland especially, in places like that, that the situation is so terrible that basically we come to Israel can't be from. And if you come, they'll pretty much, you know, destroy your from kite. The way they talk it did later to the to the Sephardim and the Yemenites. But he never did that to the Ashkenazim. Okay? So I understand where the fear is coming from. But this did not happen in the 20s and 30s if a Hasidic family moved to Israel, if that's what they wish to do. There were Mizgarot frameworks, which had from communities, um, from neighborhoods, Yerushalayim, obviously. Uh, there were yeshivas, not like later, but there were yeshivas, and there were day schools. There weren't a ton like later, but there were. There was even eventually Beis and things like that. And so my point is like this. Let's say it's 1930, 1935. Just make it up. Let's say I'm, I'm living in Krakow in Poland. If I wanted to move to Palestine and be in a good nick, there's something like that, it could be done. In Tel Aviv, in Haifa, Yerushalayim, and other places. I wouldn't say it could be done on the kibbutz, but there are places, not a few places, where it could totally be done, where you could live a Haredi lifestyle, uh, unmolested, as it were. You get what I'm saying? Unmolested. And whether or not you, you know, subscribe to Zionism or not, is, is not the point. No, it would be immaterial. You could pursue your life. And that's what people did. Just off the top of my head. The Chazanish moved in the 30s to B'nai Brak. You know what I'm saying? And at that time, there were plenty of Mizrahi type Jews. Religious Zionists in B'nai Brak didn't bother him. He did his thing. As you know, his Ashbal grew. So it could be done. But the way the uh, political tales were told, oh no, it's beyond beyond. And the reason I'm saying is because in this book, when I look at this bio of the Balzer Rebbe from Professor Ido Harari, whoever he is, so he says, and this is from Belzer literature, right? Um, no, this is from what they say. I think you know, and I mentioned, that the Belzerov was able to get out and arrived in Palestine in 1944 under special circumstances, in the middle of the Holocaust. I'm not going to go through that again. He came with his brother, who's the father of the current Belzer Rebbe. Okay? Now, uh, listen to this. Keshegia, so what I'm reading is from uh, Nelson Ortner and Perlov and so forth. When the Belzareb arrived in Palestine, now he only came there because he ran away from Hitler. In 1944, they came to Tel Aviv because he wouldn't live in Tel Aviv. He didn't want to live, I told you, Yerushalayim. No churches. Yet people went through the war those times. No, I don't see no Goyim. They, just want to, they don't see it. You see, that's who they were. I'd rather live among non from in, in um, Tel Aviv and everybody's a Yid. Now, you could have a different sensibility. I'm talking about the sensibility that he displayed. When the Belzerov came here during the war, just himself and his brother, Omar, he said, that people deceived us back in Poland. In other words, in the 1920s and 30s, maybe before, they lied to us. 
Okay? And we believe them. Eretz Yisrael, at least the rightest letters from Eretz Yisrael, meaning that in Torah character and those, those types, Shamasav who that the situation in Eretz Yisrael is Nerev Oyam. So basically impossible as far as Yiddishkeit is concerned. And that means that it's not possible to be from Jew over here to persecute you. And because we believed him, we, the rabbis, including myself, did not advise people to go to Israel, even though I'm talking about the ones who could. But now that I came here to Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv, not Yerushalayim, Tel Aviv, headquarters of Nanfram, headquarters of Chilonin, Tel Aviv, especially, by the way, Tel Aviv before the 48, before the Sephardim showed up. So super Chilonin, uh, Turns out it wasn't. Koes Rowe Shigesh Talmud Torah Shivas Mechulu. Now that I come here, I see it's possible to be a from Jew if you work at it. There are yeshivas here. There are all Talmud Torahs. We can have day schools, and he himself set up a famous, you know, a day school in Tel Aviv. I say again, Tel Aviv and other places. In other words, it's not impossible to be from life. It's certainly not worse than Poland or Baltimore, in which you have non-from Jews. You have from Jews. But the non-from are not stopping you from being from. Shaul was a gun, Shaul Mendel Ehrenberg. So one of the big rabbis there was a, bel- a belzer asked him, O my Meruch I thought the guys like you who are big rabbis supposed to have Ruch HaKodesh. So how come you couldn't see through the lies? Okay. Amar Kivan Shoy Gzeira, Niskai Makasav of the Chachmas Rachamov, Obinas Nabonot Tistatar. Obviously the whole Holocaust was Gzeira, Minishamayim. It's meant to be. This is the Belzer Rebbe talking on his Madriga. Obviously, it's meant to be. And therefore, in Ishayo, it says that sometimes you'll have, when people do things, Mitzvah Mada, the passing Ishayo, the punishment will be of the Chachamav. The Chachamav will lose their Chachma. They won't be there. And that itself is a punishment from Hashem. You know what I'm saying? It says, Mamish meaning that, you know, the Miraglim messed everything up, obviously, by saying we can't win, we should turn back. They wanted to save their lives. That's an act of panic. In the end, they got everybody killed. What happened to the whole generation? They all got killed. So notice they wanted to 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 save themselves, and it resulted in the opposite. You understand? Same thing in World War II. These guys, and before World War II, these guys wanted to say it's impossible to live in Israel because the religious conditions make it that you can't be from. They got their wish. So the people didn't come to Israel and they all got killed. You see? It's, it's, it strikes me like very remarkable. Now, it's not my vote only, even though it's a true vote. It's not my vote. This is the whole shot. I think many of you know this of this famous uh, book, this famous Sefer, made by Rabbi Teichel, right? In which he wrote in 1943 and 44. I think many of you know this, that he was this big gun in Hungary, and he was also, let's say, called notorious character types. And then he flipped because he saw his whole community in Slovakia get killed, and he started asking himself in the middle of World War II, was Tutsukhtan, he was able to run away for a year and escape in Hungary and until the Germans came into Hungary. During that year, he wrote this book, which, in, and, and it's very from, I mean, like, you don't need me to tell you, and eventually he was killed by Hitler. He was a great Sadiq and all the rest of it. 
the Samra not going to like it because he flipped on the Satmar Shita. But nevertheless, he brings uh, endless rice because he was a gigantic bucky and gun. You know, and what's his main point, as I understand it? Don't be like the Maraglim. Okay? In other words, the way to fight the Zionists, the way to fight the non-from, let me rephrase that, is not by saying nobody should go there and have nothing to do with them. Go there and compete with them. As has happened in your lifetime and my, my lifetime. You know what I'm saying? Go to Israel. If they have a non-from school, make a from school. If they have a non-from university, make a from yeshiva or something like that. You know? It could be done. So he's not saying, I want people to come not from. That's not who he was. He's saying, to have the attitude like the Miraglim, which is, that they're going to say, the whole country is bad, don't even go there. Instead of saying, go there and fight. <laughs> it's in time of the, of the Chumash, it was a physical fight. We go there now, it's not a physical fight, it's a cultural fight. Notice it's not violent, not violent. It's a cultural fight. Don't speak against it. Go compete with it. This has become, as we all know, I mean, now in the year 2022, this is a major headquarters of Frumkite. You know that. That's because, willy-nilly, those that decided, you know, to stay there, they said, let's compete with them. Turns out we've been quite successful in the competition, as everybody knows. So it's striking me, it's very interesting, when you look at Maraglam, don't only really think about it, as a story that happened 10,000 years ago, or uh, 3,000 years ago. But as a story has contemporary relevance, in general, and when you see something scary or you see something bad, you don't, you know, collapse. The question becomes like this, how do you fight the battle? You know, how do, how do you overcome the situation? And usually it turns out that you can. I just thought that's very interesting in light of current events. So with that, I hope that's food for thought. I want to thank once again the Dinowitz family. I express my condolences to them and to Shmuley especially in sponsoring this. And I hope everybody will have a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidovidkatz.com.